Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. For those of you who do not know about Financing Solutions, we provide very easy to set up lines of credit for small businesses. And I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about a business line of credit, uh, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in uh, Financing Solutions, creditline.com. And for those of you uh, who don't know me, over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today I'm excited to be speaking with Joe Mastriano from Joe Mastriano PC. Uh, Joe is a CPA with over 40 years and thousands of successful IRS tax cases. No, he's known as the killer IRS CPA. He helps tax payers avoid audits and adverse IRS actions. Joe, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. I'm delighted to be here. So today's uh, topic, uh, taking control of your relationship with the IRS, and I guarantee you the people who are going to be listening to it today are going to be uh, people who have an issue that's going on with the IRS or, or just got notified of one. How did you ever get involved in this business? Yes. Well, I started um, I was doing tax returns for H&R Block when I was going to school and always wanted to be a CPA and, and help people with their businesses. And when I opened my practice doing bookkeeping and tax work, um, I came across somebody in Houston. See, people weren't doing this much. And he said, hey, you can really help people with tax problems and make a lot of money. And I want to market for you. And I said, sure. And he did. And I was having people, I was doing free consultations at the time. People were lining up, coming in, and I was showing them what I can do. And, and even to this day, it's amazing. I watch big businesses crater because they've messed up their IRS situation and they'll hire uh, attorneys or, or CPAs or whatever to help them. Or now they've got these um tax uh debt resolution companies um and they don't understand they're just in it for the buck and i i've always had my heart in you know really helping people what what is the for a business owner what is the number one reason why the irs will typically audit you well there there's red flags that for years i've watched uh the media put out saying, oh, well, you know, the numbers didn't balance or you left things out. Um, the, and really, I've got this four-part checklist. And one I, that to this day, I don't know one person that was audited when we used it. And one of those items is uh, deals with the IRS's matching program. They have a wage and income transcript. And on that is reported W-2s, 1099s, K-1s from partnerships and sub-Ss, um, whatever third-party pay is put on you. 
And a lot of people don't match that up on the return. So one reason they get audited is they fail that matching program. The IRS says, where's this 1099? I don't see it on your return. Or your W-2 doesn't match. Or, you know, they've got conflicting information. That, that's a big one right there. There's also DIF score, D-I-F, discriminant income function. They know from experience, and now with AI, they're getting very sophisticated. They know based on your situation and the numbers on your return, what the average uh, amounts are for each area. So if you supersede that, for example, you know, if you make $200,000 and you give $50,000 in charitable contributions, that's going to be above that score for the contribution item. And that's going to add some points toward an, uh, an audit. They also give due um, compliance audits that they always want to make sure they'll always tag people, even if they're not, their returns look good, just to see that the rules that they've established are being complied with by the general public. What's the first reaction that your clients get when they when they when they when they find out that they're getting audited well they get very scared and they run to their tax preparer who is usually not the best person to help them i mean i i have to say i've i've done this my whole career and i get a lot of audit representation and I expect to get a lot more this year because the government is going after people more to try to get more tax dollars out of everybody. And they're, they're not told how to defend themselves. So people get an audit letter and they're like, oh my God, now I have to get all my receipts and I have to defend myself and I've got to pay someone to help me. And um, I don't know what to do. They're in the dark. And I educate my clients that why send a return in with deductions on it, big deductions, uh, vehicle usage, um, travel and entertainment. If you don't understand what the IRS is going to require if you get audited, so my, my goal is that less people are scared because they're really prepared. Yeah. You know, let me ask a question. I, I'm just curious. Uh, the, um, it used to be a long time ago, this is minor, it's just on my mind, that you shouldn't write off uh, a room in your house as an office because that was going to really trigger a red flag with the IRS is everyone's using an office now at their home. What, what's your position on this? Yeah. Well, the rules for office and home in terms of uh, whether it's a commonly used space or a separate space has changed. Uh, you know, you have to use the right rules for the right year. But I remember when that came around, and, and these are people who were scared of being audited. Um, at, at this point, let me tell you my four-part checklist, because 
we don't mind being aggressive. If you've got an office and home and it meets the rules, put it down. But explain to the IRS um, that you understand the code and, and the rules. So, Because one of the items is footnoting on the return. So if you've got an office and home, and for example, it might be 50%, which, which is a lot, and that might be questioned, you put an explanation down. Um, my office and home is 50%. Um, here's the layout, and this is the living expa- uh, space that we use, and that this area is 100% devoted for business, and I have pictures of it and, you know, all, all the backup that's necessary uh, to prove the deduction. Uh, auditors, I know when you explain things, throw the return back and they go after other people. Yeah, I never knew that. You could do footnotes on it, stuff like that. Um, do most accountants know that they can do footnotes? Well, they don't do it. I, I have to tell you, um, I've been a big component of paper returns. And right now, I'm, I'm being very bold going out here. Um, I may step on some toes because traditionally, you know, I grew up in that traditional environment where um, the media, the IRS um, told you file by April 15th and, and file early. And then you got software companies and uh, national tax companies telling you things and, and e-file and they, and they push these things. And it's really just for their own agenda. It's not to help us the most as taxpayers. Okay. Never file by April 15th. It's the largest pool of people that get audited. Plus your wage and income transcript doesn't settle by August. Um, and I'm going to talk a bit here because this, this is very critical for you, for you listeners. This year, um, they didn't give us the monthly grace period to correct 1099s and W-2s. The same day they were due in the hands of employees, they would do with the Social Security Administration. And they're going to get backed up because a lot of government offices are backed up right now. And if you've got changes that have to be made as an employer, you, those changes are not going to go through timely. And all these people that file early, they're going to fail the matching program because it's going to come back. The information we have, the non-adjusted information, is not going to match the information you put on your return. Those transcripts don't normally settle till around August, September anyway, especially if you've got broker statements. Anyone that uh, trades uh, stocks, those, I, every year now I get an adjusted 1099B from a, a broker. And sometimes that comes close to April 15th. Okay. Um, so never file by the 15th. Get Wait till the... Uh, August, September, um, so you can match the transcript. Now, back to the footnoting part. You, The IRS requires that if you file, as a practitioner, if you file more than 10 returns, you have to e-file everybody. 
It's part of what I'm trying to say. These rules are designed against the taxpayer. It wasn't until maybe last year or the year before when they now allow you to attach a PDF. Instead of just increasing the return so you can put explanations on to help you, they've gone one step further and said, okay, you can do a separate PDF, print it out, and attach it to your return. Your Schedule C on these software packages will expand so we can put notes on a lot of people's Schedule Cs. But it's gotten harder and harder to e-file because if you have any differences on broker statements that don't match up, you can't e-file. And you, your, your return now has gotten very clerical. You've got to put the payer information, name, ID, address, as well as your information. Everything has to, there's a lot of firms I know, I get audit uh, representation clients from them, that they're administrative offices. They hire people that pull up the software package and they copy and match all your documents onto the program. They know very little about taxes. And then the program does the return. They say, here, here, here's your return. And, and so you, again, back to the four, file uh, an extension. You've got to put footnotes on. That's why we do paper returns, because I don't want to be forced to e-file everybody. We e-file less than 10, because some people we just do that for, but we stay under the limit. Because I've got clients that have certain affairs that if you don't explain that to the IRS, they're going to be audited like that. And and I've got one guy that would be, except I, I've written like three paragraphs each time. Um, I, I'll say it quickly. He and his wife paint old warplanes and they have a, a truck, an RV and another truck for the paint supplies. They don't make that much money. And yet we're writing off three vehicles. And like I was saying earlier, you know, if your income is low and your auto expense for vehicles are high, that's going to be a red flag. But I justify that by explaining how it saves the person money and how it's economical for them to operate that way. And he's never been audited. Yeah, I uh, did you originally go back to him and say, hey, you might get audited because of this? Oh, absolutely. That's the thing that that people don't get. One, we're doing um, tax reduction for people. I'm going to start doing that more because there's software now that uses AI that goes into the code and everything. But the companies I know that do that don't want people. They tell people, oh, hire your kids, turn your hobby into a business. And and that on the surface is wrong, because if you hire your kids, they better work for you. Otherwise, you're committing fraud. I I know people who do that. And you can't just turn your I've had appeal conferences um, on people's businesses that they turned into a hobby. And these people want to turn your hobby into a business. Well, it better meet all the rules for a business. They're just reading what's in the code or, and in, and they're applying it based on their own interpretation rather than understanding how the IRS interprets it. 
And that's so much the key because the people will sell you anything and they'll show you, look, it says right here, you can do this. Who cares if the IRS doesn't agree? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know? so I, I would imagine, too, I, I wonder if you file paper returns, Yes. if the IRS actually converts that into a digital form, because Absolutely. if they don't do... Because they do put it, because I wasn't sure if it, you know, if it's less likely to get uh, caught up in AI because it's it's in paper form. So, you know, they would have to have it all digitalized. Absolutely. And I, I would imagine it is digitalized, right? Yeah. 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 No, they, they convert it. Um, that's why over COVID, there's like over three million, you know, returns that they didn't process. Now, I sent my paper return in right before August, uh, I'm sorry, right before October 15th, mm -hmm. six weeks later, I got my refund and it was put into my bank account. No problem. It was the COVID returns during the summer of 20 and part of 21 that didn't get filed. I have several clients that I need to put into payment plans. And what I do is I get a second copy that they sign. I fax it to collections and they use that copy to prove that the taxpayer filed, and then they set up the installment agreement. Mm, so they've got so. a workaround. It's not that bad that they haven't filed. I know the media again, oh, look, don't send paper returns. The IRS has all these backed up returns. No, they're processing the current paper returns. It's only from back then. And they're having you work around it by sending them other copies that are signed. And so what's the value of submitting a paper return? Well, uh, again, it has to do with the footnoting. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You can't footnote on a digital return? On a, not digital, no, but on a... No, wow. that's what I'm saying. Why? Uh, they just started about a year ago allowing you to attach those PDFs. Wow, wow. You would think. Now, yeah. Intuit and the IRS work very closely together. Tax. I was very surprised a few years ago when I found out it's like they're hand-in-hand -hand partners. Yeah. yeah. And um, you would think they could just take their software and expand areas to include all these footnotes. Nope. I mean, I can go on and on. I've seen so much over the years. It's a game that they play together yeah. and taxpayers suffer. I get doctors, as, I, I have dozens of attorneys as clients. I have CPAs as clients that don't understand the process. And yeah. they ordered it and they're like, oh my God, I read in this guide right here. This is what I needed to, for proof. And they didn't know. I have construction clients that we do their mileage logs two and three times over, and they want pictures and all this other stuff. And it's not in the code. Yeah. It's just that they take their own liberties to decide what they want as evidence. And taxpayers need to know what these expanded things are. We all need to know how to protect ourselves from this false information that's out there. And my four-part checklist does that. If, if you go to taxproblem.org or um, I have an official U.S. trademark, Killer IRS. So if you, if you Google Killer IRS CPA, um, interesting story how I got that. Um, but if you Google Killer IRS CPA, 
you go to my website, taxproblem.org. Right there on the first page is a button for your email, and another page will pop up, and it'll give you these four items right, right, right then in the in there. Um, and and we try as much as people listen to see people are taught from the beginning. It's bad that taxes are complicated. They can be, but not most people's situations. Yeah. Most people's situations are very simple. They just have to be willing to accept that information. Yeah. So let's 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 start off. So sure, you're you're gonna get if you're you're firstly you're gonna get notified if you get notified for an audit. It's gonna be through a letter, correct? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. They're not gonna email you, and they're not gonna call you. Right. There's a lot of scams going on. Right. Yes. So, yes. so let's get that out of the way. You're going to get an email. I'm sorry. You're going to get a letter, You're going to uh, get a letter. from the mail. Right. You're going to get a letter. It's going to be, uh, uh, is it registered mail? Is it, is no, it? No, it's just, a, just you regular. can get a registered letter when they have to meet their legal requirements for notification. You'll okay. get a registered letter. But often the first letter is not registered. All right. So let's say you get that first letter. You didn't pay attention to you threw it out. Okay. <laughs> what happens next? Well, you, you, there's behind the scenes work. A lot of auditors will contact your bank without you knowing it. And your bank will give them your bank information. Okay. It's very dangerous to let an IRS employee off on their own devices. You want to nip things in the bud right away. You know, at some point, the letters get more threatening or they cut corners sometimes. You might get a, a, a what, 4550, whatever that is. They might send you an audit report saying we disallowed everything. I mean, it matters. If you didn't file, then you'll get letters requesting your bank information and things like that so they can put together a return for you. If you got an audit letter on a return that you filed, then they'll start disallowing everything and they'll send you a letter and says, okay, you owe us $45,800. If you agree to it, check the box here. If you disagree, you better contact us right away. You know, things things like that. Yeah, yeah, so You'll yeah. be happy to make up an amount if you don't respond. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so then after that, the, you do contact them. Now you should take right. that letter call you, right? And so, you know, let yes. let you know, right? right. Uh, or, you know, let your accountant know, certainly. But, um, and you let them know. <clears throat> and then I would also suggest, of course, that you, um, I've been audited by the state. I've been audited okay. by the uh, feds. Um, now, you should then make sure that your accountant or you, follow up on it. You need to Absolutely. not just assume that your accountant is on top of it, Correct. right? It's your responsibility. Absolutely. It's not theirs, Absolutely. right? So you put a tickler in your, uh, you put a reminder on your calendar and you say, where are we with this? Exactly. Next thing that happens is what? Do you call the IRS? Do you, what do you well, do? You, it, 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 again, it depends on the situation, but you want to know what is there, there's a strategy involved. You and, and again, this is why you don't just give it to your tax preparer. Someone has to have a lot of audit experience to know how to respond. Um, for example, 
if the taxpayer has done things that might be considered criminal and you want to avoid a, a, a referral from that order to the criminal investigation division, it's usually a good idea to be upfront with it. So in a case like that, I might call the auditor and say, um, let's set a time. And um, sometimes I'll have my client with me uh, and, and it'll be a phone conference. And I'll say, my, um, I want to alert you to two items on the return. There's been a transposition of numbers or a couple of zeros. Somehow the uh, accountant you know, didn't tell the, my client and, and, and added some zeros to one of the deductions. Or my client um, didn't realize that he had to pay. I have a lot of people that um, have people that might be illegal or, or bordering illegal and they don't file 1099s on them. And, and we got to keep them out of criminal for that. So don't want to drag this out, but sometimes I will alert the auditor up front because if they think you're trying to hide it from them, that's going to go to criminal. In a simpler case, we'll just set the date but and get the information, and you got to work with them. Some of them, their managers are on them, and they won't give you time, and, and so you, you, you set the date right away, but you understand that you're not going to prove the deductions. They're just taking care of their preliminary questions. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to go you know, into too much detail, but... You really, there is no general, and that's what people try to do. And, you know, it's kind of like going to a doctor with a, with a heart, you know, problem and saying what you should generally do. No, you got to use your knowledge and experience to assess the situation, to determine how to approach the IRS because they're vicious. And I have to tell you, um, I've got a case now where, the auditor is not accepting the receipts, even though they're proper. And in the past, they would have accepted it. I have a collection officer who filed the county lien on somebody for an exorbitant amount, five times the size of the liability that I kind of think is illegal, but I'm not an attorney. And it's now the way the government is they're just breaking rules and laws like crazy. That's why I'm going out now to, you know, to warn people. Um, a lot of people now are just, you know, more than half of my practice. They're like, Joe, yeah, when I hear from them, I'll let you know. I've got bigger worries because automated collections in the last two and a half years hasn't gone after people. And they hired three collection agencies that have no power to levy anything that you have. So most people now, they're like, well, the IRS isn't doing anything. And, and, and so I'm trying to warn people, okay, fine. Some stuff you can sit on, but don't make that decision yourself. Because if you get audited, all these things you think, as I said, I've got CPAs and attorneys and very bright people. Some attorneys make seven figures a year. And what they read for proof is not the proof that the auditors are looking for. And, uh, it, it was yeah. my understanding that a 
once you contact the IRS office, they they have to tell you uh, what they're auditing you, why what the issue is, and they just can't keep going further and further and further outside uh, of that. Is that true? Actually, they can. Yes, they have to tell you what the issue is. Sometimes I actually forget to do that. I need to ask, um, what was the reason? Is this a diff score audit? Is this a compliance audit? Or are you auditing because these items that you listed in the audit letter caused the audit? Sometimes that's, that's important. Okay. But now, when they audit you, they audit the year before and the year after. I used to fight that successfully. And I'll never forget a few years ago when I said no um, to the manager, to the audit group manager. um, He said, hold on. I I, I said, uh, that prior year is not under audit. And I know you said there's depreciation that carries over, so I'll just give you the depreciation schedule. He said, no, I, I need the whole return. And I said, you have no basis for that because the return's not under audit. He said, hold on. He sent me a fax and officially made that year under audit. So now auditors have the sole power to put your, I don't even know if that's legal or not, but I've, I've been seeing it. They've given the sole power to determine other years that they want to audit. So now it's commonplace. If you get audited, they can go to the year before and year after. I'm telling you, they're breaking the rules, the old rules. I don't know what's, you know, currently the rule and what's not, but they're they're breaking all the old rules and, yeah. and they're taking liberties like crazy now. Well, if someone comes, well, okay, so we don't, you don't know if if it's a new rule that you can audit the the year before right, and year I, after. I haven't looked it up. Correct. You haven't looked it up. So, all right. So after they do that. Your accountant will talk to them and find out exactly why you're being audited. And then at that point, you need to either prove your case or you need to pay up, correct? Well, at the, yeah, you need to prove your case. You could avoid it. Occasionally, I have people that just have financial problems and they tell me they can't continue. Um, and if I don't, work with the auditor, then they'll do that final report and say, you owe 45,000, whatever. And and at that point, you could decide to pay it. But you know, I've had some people that paid that. And then, you know, sometimes it's a small amount. It's it's $8,000. And they say, well, Joe, I'd rather not go through the fight and pay you. Let me just pay the 8,000. They pay the out 8,000 and they're like, oh, look, we got the money so easily. Let's go audit another year. Yeah, yeah, and I've, yeah. I've seen that. Not recently, to tell you the truth, but I, yeah. I've seen that in the past. Well, are you, as the representative of that client, able to say the IRS you know, once I pay you this money, once he pays you this money, you're done. We're done for that year. We're done with it's not done until the manager approves it and they get the case out of the audit group. Okay. Um, I mean, isn't it typically true that especially with a smaller amount of money, 8,000 is small, um, that they typically, they, they don't, they want to just, they get their money and they want to move on to something else. Is that typical? It, it depends who the taxpayer is. Mm. 
Some taxpayers kind of get harassed. They get audited like a few years in a row. The the old rule used to be if you get, and it's still kind of true, if you get audited in a particular area and you resolve it for the next two years, they're not supposed to audit you for that particular area. Yeah. And, and they pretty much hold true to that uh, from what I've seen. Um, but it really depends. I mean, I was audited myself once in 1980 and never again. Of course, my returns are very simple. I don't do all kinds of weird stuff to get extra deductions. I'd rather just, you know, keep them away. Yeah. Um, but you, again, it's all experience. You, you can't, it's very hard to make assumptions. That's why I focus on get them out of your life. Understand when to pay your taxes. A lot of people think, oh, if I file by April 15th and I pay my taxes, I'm fine. And you got those national tax companies that, that create that. And it's wrong because you only don't have to pay penalties if you meet one of the exemptions to the penalties. Your taxes are due through withholding or quarterly estimates. The fourth quarter's estimate is due January 15th. So I have people that are in payment plans and they paid their taxes before April, you know, the following year, and it broke the installment agreement because they were late, even if they met the exemption to the penalties. Plus their payments have to be logged into their transcript on time. So if you your payments are on the payment plan are due on the 15th of each month and you postmark it on the 14th, it's going to hit your transcript after the 15th and you've broken your agreement. Now, you I can understand. take them to court and win, but who's going to take them to court just because of a day thing? Why not just get it right in the first place? So you want to avoid the audit. And then when you get the audit, you want to be up front. All right. Well, let's, that's a good place to leave it off. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank so very much uh, Joe Mastriano from Joe Mastriano PC for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Please also, if you liked this uh, podcast or any other ones, and you're willing to give us a five-star review, uh, please uh, just uh, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com, FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Joe, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, they could go to my website at taxproblem.org, but I post videos almost every day on my YouTube and LinkedIn channel under slash killer IRS. Um, so if you go there, I've done, I've got so many videos on different things. You can learn a lot and learn exactly the things that I'm uh, talking about today. Good. All right. Well, Joe, thanks for coming on. Excellent. Yeah. So the summary of today, um, number one is I think Joe would probably recommend, I mean, we didn't say this about that. If you're in business long enough, at some point you're going to get audited, <laughs> right? By oh, the yeah. state of IR or the IRS. Um, oh, absolutely. Yep. And um, we're I've been, off camera now, right? No, nope, I mean, we're still on camera. We're still oh, on camera. Sure, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's you know, so that's one. And then so number two is you know, I really believe in specialty. 
you know, and Joe specializes in this, you know, working with the IRS. Um, so I would say is if you're involved in an audit, um, you know, I, you should probably talk to Joe. I, I you know, that's what I would do. Um, I do one know. hour consultations. Uh, it's only 300 bucks. Yeah. That's, and that's money well spent. Definitely. Cause some people say, thank you. I've got this accountant that I, that's a personal friend and I want him to do it, but I'm going to use the information you've given me and, and work with him. And, and, and that's fine too. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I also had a guy who was retired on social security and he needed to do an offer and compromise and he, you know, fees usually run about four to 6,000 and he didn't have it. So I coached him through it. And later on, he only paid me like 600 bucks and I coached him through it during the process. He sent me a couple more. I answered some questions. And then a few months later, I got an email from him. Thank you so much. He got his offer. It, you know, erased mostly all his taxes. So I'm, I'm willing to help people, you know, wherever they're at. Yep. Well, good stuff. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to wrap it up for today. I want to wish everybody the best. And thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur MBA podcast.